Thank you for listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series called Respectable Sins right now. You see, there are destructive behaviors that nobody would support, like lying or stealing. But sometimes the most dangerous sins are the ones that nobody thinks are wrong. And so we're taking a look at those respectable sins that have become such a part of our behavior that we hardly even notice them. Or worse, we scoff at the idea of not doing them. So let's identify how things like vanity, greed, consumption, the things we watch, might be keeping us from the freedom that we desire. And as always, be sure to reach out to us if you need anything at all at tablechurchdsm.org. Good morning, church. My name's Ivy Sprague, and I'll be sharing this morning's scripture passages with you. First from Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And from Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. All right. Good morning once again. Thank you for coming to Table Search today. My name is Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so happy you came. And I'm sorry about the air conditioning, but at least you haven't been here since 630 like some people. Uh, setting up stuff and all that. So could always be worse, right? But I'm grateful that you're here worshiping with us today. And um, I want to talk for a moment, before we get into our topic, I want to talk about how we approach the Bible. Because I think a lot of people avoid reading the Bible because they feel like it's just a book of rules. And nobody likes a lot of rules. When I was growing up, my parents had a rule. They said before I could play with my friends on Saturday, we had to clean the house. I mean, what a bummer, right? But here's the truth about rules. Some rules restrict, other rules release. A rule that restricts is simply meant to control you, to keep you in line. That's its purpose. But a rule that releases is meant to free you and to help you become the person you're meant to be, to become better than you are now. You know, when I went bowling as a child, they put bumpers in the bowling lane to keep my ball from going in the gutter and moving towards the target. And obviously, many of us adults still need them. It's unfortunate they take them away. But that's kind of what a good rule it it does. It's like a guardrail that keeps you moving towards the place you're supposed to end up. My point is that insofar as there are rules, and I'm not even really comfortable using that word, But insofar as there are rules in the Bible, they are meant to free you. They are meant to release you. They are the guardrails that are keeping you moving in the direction that you need to go to keep you from going in a gutter or over a cliff. Now, our sermon series that we're in is called Respectable Sins. And we're talking about the things that have become acceptable, respectable, maybe even sometimes noble in our culture, that if we are followers of Jesus, we got to take another look at that. 
that might not actually be something that God wants us to do. Perhaps it's become a respectable sin. And so today we're going to talk about what we watch, the things that we look at with our eyes, the stuff we watch on TV or online. Because with the invention of streaming services, we now have an endless supply of images pouring into our living rooms that would never make the cut for cable TV, which is saying something, right? And, and it's become quite commonplace, I would imagine, for many Christians to simply watch things that even just 15 years ago, we didn't have the ability, you would have had to go f search it out. Now it's being served up to us on our screens. Now, we laugh at some of the seemingly legalistic rules that earlier generations of Christians made around watching TV or going to the movies or playing cards or dancing or whatever. And while I do think that sometimes uh, those rules were made to restrict instead of release, I also have to admit, perhaps we've swung wildly the other direction. It is, it is hard to justify some of the stuff that we watch with the verses that we just heard read. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body, and that means that, that what you see with your eyes has an effect on the contents of your heart. Paul tells us to think about things that are noble and pure. Instead, many of us spend hours a day with our eyeballs glued to portrayals of some of the nastiest things the human imagination can come up with. So look, previous generations may have been legalistic when it comes to this, but I think it's possible that some of us have fallen into the opposite trap, which would be licentiousness. Licentiousness is kind of the opposite of legalism. It says that where you, it, licentiousness is where you believe that you have a license to do whatever you want. And there were some early Christians who were doing this same thing. They, they kind of misunderstood the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that comes through the cross and the gospel. And so Paul had to correct them. They were in Corinth. And here's what he writes to the Corinthians. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is constructive. See, our problem is we always want things to be black and white. Something is either sinful or it isn't. It's either wrong or it's right. It's got to be one of those two things. And Paul, what he's doing here is he's actually saying, oh, maybe it's not that simple all the time. He seems to suggest that there are times where you, you're not technically sinning, but you know what? What you're doing might not be beneficial and might not be healthy. When I was in college, most professors were very specific about what they wanted us to do for an assignment. But every now and then you get the one who's very vague and they'll say, write a paper. And the first question you ask is, well, how long does it need to be? And then they say something like, well, however long it takes you to say what you need to say. And you're like, that makes no sense. Or maybe, like, you're wanting to know, what's the minimum amount I got to do in order to get a good grade? 
Or maybe you know what it feels like where the paper needs to be five pages and you're at four and a half pages and you're all out of stuff to say and you're like, how am I going to get this thing to five pages? And so you pull out all the tricks. You know what you do? You get rid of all the contractions. Won't becomes will not and so on. Okay, maybe you cheat the margins by like tenth of an inch on either side and then you get to add a couple quotes from your sources and you're there. Like we've got all sorts of tricks to do just enough. Many of us bring a just enough attitude to our faith. We say, hey, what's the minimum that I got to do in order to be fine? And we've turned our faith into a deal that we broker with God. We haggle with God for the lowest price, the least amount of cost. We try to find the least costly route to salvation and we wonder, how far can I push the envelope? We even do the same things the Corinthians did. We bring a distorted understanding of freedom in the cross and we think that freedom in Christ means that we get to do anything we want. We've removed any and all obligation from following Jesus. But Paul completely throws this transactional view of faith out the window. I mean, sure, you can watch that if you want, but just because you can doesn't mean you should, he says. In fact, I think Paul would say, look, if you're looking for a minimum requirement for Christianity, then you haven't actually discovered the gospel yet. Because the gospel is beautiful. God is more beautiful and desirable than anything else you could ever find. And so if you're finding ways to pursue other things more, then you haven't actually found him yet. Paul goes on to correct this view in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He's saying, hey, forget about these minimum requirements or expectations. Quit making your relationship with God a transaction. Your faith is not a deal you negotiate, it's a relationship you pursue. Imagine if before getting married, a guy sits down with his fiance and he says, okay, babe, just how faithful do I have to be here? And he starts listing things off, like, is it okay if I do this? Okay, how about this? Okay, if not that, then what about this? You know, like, imagine if that was the case. How crazy would that be? And yet that's what we do with God sometimes. Listen, Here's my point. Instead of pushing boundaries, let's run from sin and chase God's heart. One of our core values at Table Church is to pursue God. In case you've forgotten, what are our core values? Pursue God, create belonging, do justice, and make disciples. Those are the four things that we want to do here. And so we want to pursue God. We don't want to be people who are saying, okay, how close to this can I get and still be okay? We want to say, you know what? I got one focus in life. There's one thing that matters to me more than all else. God is worth everything. And look, it's hard, it's hard to think of a place where maybe we need to apply this more than what we watch. We have normalized entertainment that, listen to me, no generation of Christians before us would find acceptable. 
So instead of asking whether or not watching this is sinful or not, let's ask a different question. Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Is it making me more like Christ or less? Does it help me become holy and blameless, which is what the Bible exhorts us to be? Or you know, is it, fi- or is it fixing my mind on things above like we just heard in the passage today? Would I look at Jesus in the eye and say, yeah, that scene, that's helping me be more like you, Jesus, definitely. Would we do that? Our text says the eye is the lamp of the body, and that's a mysterious passage for sure, but at the very least, it seems to say that how we use our eyes has a big impact on the kind of people we become. And listen, it's generally the case that when we feed our appetites, appetites like for violence or for sex or whatever the case may be, those appetites don't stay satisfied. In fact, you know what happens? They grow. They grow. And so what we once found deliciously entertaining is now boring. And we have to then intensify it. This is how pornography works. This is how it rewires and ruins our brains. It's also clear at a societal level, it was once scandalous to show Ricky and Lucy Ricardo laying in the same bed. And now we think that's funny because our appetites have grown beyond that. Which means that, listen, what we find entertaining says something about what's inside of us. And it's important to think about what consuming these images might do to my soul. But it's also important to notice that my what my desire to consume certain things says about what's already in me. You think about that ever? What does my desire to consume this thing say about what's already here? There's a philosopher named James K.A. Smith and he wrote a book called You Are What You Love. You are what you love. And, And he disputes the popular idea that our character is formed by like a mental decision. Like, you don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be a kind and compassionate person, therefore I shall become one. It's not how character formation works. You don't get to just decide to be a certain kind of person. It's not something that just happens in your brain. There's a problem with the idea that when I watch this movie or whatever, that I can somehow chew the meat and spit out the bones, you know, like keep the good stuff and forget about the bad stuff. That's just not how we work. We don't just with our brains decide to keep and let go of certain things. If the images capture our hearts, we can't sift mentally through the good and the bad, keeping the good and forgetting the bad. It sticks with us. The eye is the lamp of the body. As a kid, my friend's dad defended his subscription to Playboy. You know what he'd say? Oh, I just read the articles. (laughs) Ever heard that one? Sorry, that's not how it works. You are formed by what has captured your heart. You are what you love, and what you love is made plain by what you devote your time to when you don't have to do anything else. Our goal at Table Church, by the way, our goal is to become what we would call apprentices of Jesus. To become apprentices of Jesus. What's an apprentice? Well, I don't know, 500 years ago, if you're an apprentice of a blacksmith, here's what you'd do. You'd go live with the blacksmith, You would spend your entire days with them. You'd like eat meals with them. And you would take upon yourself everything they do. You would take upon yourself their way of approaching the craft of smithery or whatever. And and eventually, over the course of years, 
you yourself could become a blacksmith and eventually perhaps even a master blacksmith. And then maybe you have your own apprentice. Well, we have a word, it's called a disciple. And we are apprentices or disciples of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You are an apprentice of your master, Jesus. And so that means that we live with Jesus. We spend every day with Jesus. And we want to take upon our master's teachings into our lives. We want to fashion our lives after our master. This is way more than just being a student. An apprentice is is a whole life thing. That's our goal at Table Church. We want to become apprentices of Jesus so that we can become little Christs in the world. And one way we do that, according to Paul, is to fix our minds on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, he says. Paul knows as well as anyone that our minds are like untrained puppies. They'll just run after whatever leaf is blowing in the wind or squirrel is running across the street, you know? That's how our minds are. They take training. And just like a puppy, we have to train our minds to think about things that are praiseworthy. This is the reason behind the ancient Christian practices of spiritual disciplines. Things like prayer, fasting, meditation, scripture. These are the ways that we put ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So he can train our minds. Paul's point is that we got to stop asking the question, you know, what is the closest to sinning that I can get without actually doing it? Because when you're asking that question, you know what? You're probably already sinning. Because now your aim is not on God, your aim is on worldliness. Instead of pushing boundaries, let's run from sin and chase God's heart. Let's pursue God because he's worth it. Let's actually spend more time being formed by God than by Hollywood. Our hearts are so malleable. Your heart is so malleable. It it can be influenced so easily. The images and the stories that we immerse ourselves in have some of the most powerful effects on our hearts. And so let's immerse ourselves in the story of God. And let's fix our eyes on things that are true and noble and right and pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. In our house, Natalie and I, we're... We try not to be legalistic about it, you know, but I'll be honest, we rarely ever watch something that's rated TVMA on Netflix. And for some of us, perhaps that's, you're like, how do you do that? That's like 90% of Netflix. I know. But oh well. (laughs) Some people think that's pharisaical or that's naive. Well, in my opinion, it's naive to think that you can glue your eyeballs to something and not think it's forming you in ways you're not even conscious of. There are certain things I don't want in the center of my marriage or pouring into my home, let alone invading my heart. Now, I've gone pretty hard after a message here today that some may think is a little puritanical. Uh, Some of us maybe grew up in very strict homes where... You couldn't watch Smurfs and like you're kind of triggered (laughs) by this. Uh, And so I want to say something to hopefully round it out a little bit. Notice that the first thing Paul says in Philippians 4.8 is that we should fix our minds on whatever is true. 
We should fix our minds on whatever is true. That's the first thing he says. I don't think Christians really have much business reveling in gratuitous violence and sex, okay? So I'm not saying that. But I do want to say that there are times where there is something redemptive to be found even in stories or images that wouldn't make the cut in a Disney princess movie, if you know what I mean. And the reason it may be redemptive is because it is true. There was a theologian that commented, he said that one reason that they carved these grotesque-looking gargoyles in the sides of cathedrals. You're like, what? This is such a beautiful building, but why that thing? It looks like his eyes are bulging out. He's about to bite my head off. Like, he said, one reason they did that is to remind us that the power of the enemy is still with us. In the book Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis's famous demon points out that the, one of the best strategies of the enemy are the ones that make us forget he's there. And so I think that movies and media can serve a powerful role in that they can remind us of the truth that evil is, a, is alive in our world. I mean, just pulling an example, Schindler's List isn't always easy to watch, but it's true, right? I think we'd all agree that there's truth being communicated there. So what this means is you just got to ask yourself the question, why are you watching it? Is it for truth? Or is it for something else? There is no rule I can give you or anyone can give you to decide that. See, that's the problem with legalism. It just tries to answer the question with a rule. And you can't. It doesn't get to the heart. It doesn't bother with getting to the heart of things. You have to decide that for yourself. Philosopher James K.A. Smith, who we mentioned earlier, he's got a quote, and I want to read it. It's kind of heady, He's a philosopher, but we're going to read it and we're going to, we're going to unpack it in a minute. It says, you can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. So you see double negatives, right? What he's saying is you have to bet your life on something and you have to be headed somewhere. Everybody is. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for, the place we unconsciously strive toward, is what ancient philosophers called our telos. Our goal or our end, that's what a telos is. But the telos we live toward is not something we primarily know or believe or think about. Rather, our telos is what we want, what we long for, what we crave. Your telos is whatever's here, not what's here. You can't, like I said, wake up one day and say, I think my telos is going to be this. That's not how it works. It's already decided by the time it gets to your heart. Listen, my goal, my job is to help you want God, to help you crave God, to help God be your telos, to become the kind of people who lean toward God and away from other things. I want to be a church that just desperately wants him because we know that he is worth so much more than anything else we can find. That he is so much more beautiful than any of the things that Hollywood or anyone can put before us. That he's so much better than all this stuff that our flesh craves. Let him become our number one longing. That's why worship matters. 
Because worship is where we remind ourselves of the goodness of God. It's where we come together as a community, remind ourselves of our story as the people of God. We are the ones who have been redeemed. We are the ones who have seen God be faithful through thick and thin. We come here, we read the scriptures, we're reminded of our story, and we sing and we, uh, and we proclaim and we pray in one voice together that God is worth it. That God is true and noble and admirable and praiseworthy and excellent and all those things. That's why worship matters. That's what we're trying to do here. But like Smith said, the things you want in life are not what you think about. It has to happen not in your brain. It's got to make that 18-inch journey to your heart. It's not at the level of what you think about. It's at the level of what you love. And the things we love are shaped by our habits. So let's be people who pursue God. Who say, I'm not going to try to toe the line. I'm not going to try to push the envelope. Like, you know what, if this is not edifying, if this is not constructive, if this is not admirable, praiseworthy, excellent, true, whatever, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm a person who's soul sold out for God. I want him above all else. And so the challenge for us, I just want to, I just want to float this to you. What if we took a week, Table Church, some of you today are like, this sermon did not apply to me at all. I have four kids. I don't have time to watch TV, you know. But many of us, many of us are in a different boat. And so what if we took one week and we said, I'm going to match the amount of time I spend with entertainment with the amount of time that I spend with God. And if we fall into the, st- the statistics of, I don't know how many hours a day of watching TV, right, the average American, that means we're going to spend a lot of time with the Lord this week <laughs> if we do this. And I mean, it can be scripture time. It can be prayer. It can be reading some edifying book. It can be going for a walk in nature. It doesn't just have to be like you sitting in one spot with your hands folded. I mean, you could do that. You should do that some. But it doesn't have to only be that the whole time. And so what if we said, hey, if I watch like one episode uh, a day, I'm going to match or exceed that in the amount of time I'm with God today. And I just wonder what that will do by the end of the week. I wonder what, I wonder how we'll feel. I'm guessing that we won't think it's a waste of time. And so would you accept that challenge? If you want to do that, you can write on your connection card, um, I don't know, write challenge on your connection card. And that way I'll know that you're doing it and we can do it together and I can send you an email and be like, hey, awesome, let's go. Some of you watch so much TV, you're like, oh, oh, what am I gonna do? Like that's my decompression time, that's the time that you know I kind of relax, whatever, after the kids are in bed, that's kind of what it is for Natalie and I, I get it. Like, oh, last thing I want to do is sit there and read a book when my brain is just like fried. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I'm just saying I'm going to do it too. So we'll all be in it together. And you know what? I bet we'll make it. So let's do it. Let, let, let's pursue God this week in a new way. And you can sign up on your card and let me know that you're going to do it. So we're going to sing one last song. I, um, I pulled Mara to the side after the worship set before I came out for my message and I I did something I've never done before. I called an audible and I said, can we sing that song, Come Thou Fount, again? Are we good? <laughs> and because there's this phrase in it, in the, in the bridge at the end, the modern addition to the hymn, that says, above all else, right? And that's the point of my sermon. It's like God needs to be above all else. He's so much better than anything else we can come up with. And so can we sing it to him one more time as a church? Would you stand with us? Let's just remind ourselves that he is worth more than anything else. Amen. Let's sing.